sugarcoat shit. <laughs> this is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio. Fellas, didn't get what you were hoping for from Santa Claus this year? Looking to add a little spice to things in the bedroom? Been fantasizing about an adventurous new adult toy or movie? Well, then we have an offer that you won't be able to resist. Go to toysforpleasure.vegas and for a limited time, you'll get 20% off store-wide and we'll even throw in free shipping for any order above $100. And no, we're not teasing. So check out toysforpleasure.vegas today and use special offer code BABE69 upon checkout and make sure all your adult fantasies come true with toysforpleasure.vegas today. Remember, use offer code BABE69, that's B-A-B-E-6-9, to receive a 20% discount on your entire order, and gift the gift that Santa forgot to give this year. Warning! The content you're about to hear contains spoilers, so if you have not watched the show, movie, or read the book in question, turn off your radio now, because there are spoilers. Spoilers ahead! Warning! Warning! Danger Will Robinson! Spoilers ahead! Don't say you haven't been warned. Hello, 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 and welcome back, Renegade Nation. It's me, Naughty Nicole, and it's time for another Renegade Review. And this time around, well, we're looking at Ryan Murphy's new deliciously campy and oh-so-riveting series, Feud. Now, much like the anthology that is American Horror Story, each season focuses on one story, and the entire series will string together on a familiar theme. And this theme? Bitter real-life rifts and historic feuds. And the first season? Well, it is off to a raving start, focusing on the most notorious catfight in Hollywood history. That's right, this inaugural season takes us down the rabbit hole that was the war between the original screen queens, Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. Now, I have to admit that I was so excited when this show was originally announced that it literally gave me goosebumps, more so than when I found out they were going to be remaking Godzilla vs. King Kong, seriously. So how does it start? Quote, Feuds are never about hate. Feuds are about pain. They're all about pain. With those foreboding words so softly cooed to the camera by Miss Olivia de Havilland, portrayed by the beautiful Catherine Zeta-Jones, a contemporary of both Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, it's started in the midst of an interview about the two stars. And we're off on the sordid tale about one of the most epic feuds in Hollywood. Now, as many of you know, I'm a huge fan of old Hollywood, and Betty Davis just happens to be one of my favorite actresses of all time. So you can imagine I was front and center for this ingenious new show. For those of you that don't know the feud that was Davis versus Crawford, well, you'll need to know this. 
Their feud was incredibly delicious and so very publicly played out, so much so that this subject was ripe for this brilliant dramedy. Add in some brilliant portrayals by Susan Sarandon and Jessica Lange, Betty and Joan respectively, well, it sets that bar pretty damn high before we even get out of the gates. In truth, either this would have been an incredible failure of epic proportion, or something so delightfully decadent that it would soothe the very souls of purists like me. Lucky for us, it's the latter, and I don't make that statement lightly. So let's jump right on into it. Yes, it was the most glorious catfight in all of Hollywood history. In one corner, we have the formidable Betty Davis, and in the other, an equally feisty Joan Crawford. Both equally intelligent and talented actresses at the top of their games, and yet equally consumed by pure hatred for one another. But was it mere professional jealousy, or did it go a little deeper? It doesn't take long to track down the root cause of the rift, and, sadly, these two cinematic giants were reduced to duking it out over, well, what else? A man. Namely, the less legendary and mostly forgettable actor, Franchot Tone. If you need to know who he was, he was on Mutiny on the Bounty. Tone, who starred alongside Betty in the 1935 film Dangerous, the part that actually garnered Betty her first Academy Award, and of him, Betty said, I fell in love with him, professionally and privately. Everything about him reflected his elegance, from his name to his manners. Now, at this time, Joan Crawford was MGM's reigning sex symbol. She was newly divorced and hot on the prowl when she invited Tone over for dinner, only to greet him, well, naked in her solarium. Whether it was the nudity or the possibility of free tanning sessions, he was hooked line and sinker, and Joan, well, she made damn sure that Betty knew it. And Davis admitted he was madly in love with her, They met each day for lunch. He would return to the set, his face covered in lipstick. He was honored that this great star was in love with him, and I was jealous, of course. And, with deliberate tactlessness, Franchot and Joan proudly announced their engagement. They married in New Jersey as soon as Dangerous wrapped. Their union only lasted until 1938, the year that Betty won her second Oscar for Jezebel. The love affair might have bitten the dust, but the animosity it created, well, that would last a lifetime. Betty looked down on Crawford as a shallow mannequin with eyebrows like African caterpillars, whilst she was a serious theater-trained performer. She also called into question Joan's reputation with the opposite sex, or, as she put it, she slept with every male star at MGM except Lassie. Maybe. Now Crawford, well, she was no kinder. Poor Betty, she tutted. She looks like she's never had a happy day or night in her life. In 1943, Crawford and her eyebrows left MGM and signed up with Warner Brothers, the studio which just happened to be the home of Miss Davis. Now their professional rivalry was to be cranked up a notch, or ten, 
with both ladies competing for some of the very same parts. Now, Crawford won an Academy Award for Mildred Pierce in 1945, which was actually a part that Davis turned down, no doubt adding a little bit to that bitterness. Though Betty didn't do too badly herself, winning two Academy Awards in the course of her career. But it was 1962 that their rivalry reached its crescendo. The pair were signed to appear on screen together for the very first time in a little movie that you might have heard of called Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Now, if you haven't heard of it, it's a chilling story about two former film stars living in a lonely existence in their Hollywood mansion, and the film saw pasty-faced Betty tormenting the bedridden Joan like an intoxicated mental patient. Joan, at the time, was married to the CEO of Pepsi-Cola, so Betty made sure that she had a Coca-Cola machine installed in her dressing room. And... In the scene where Betty had to drag Joan across the floor, well, Joan filled her pockets with rocks. And in those infamous fight scenes, there were no stunt doubles. They weren't necessary. Despite this, the two actresses were described as consummate professionals, always remembering their lines and turning up to the set on time. Now, Joan complained about Betty's physical abuse during the making of the movie, and Betty acted out her Baby Jane role a little too literally for comfort. Even though it was motivated by the chance to give each other a good kick, Betty said, The best time I ever had with Joan was when I pushed her down the stairs and whatever happened to Baby Jane. Baby Jane, of course, enjoyed rave reviews at the time and widespread acclaim, with Davis nominated for a Best Actress Award at the Oscars. That's when Joan got a little less enthusiastic about promoting the film, and when Joan got, when Betty got nominated, Joan went on an even darker mission, yeah? She contacted the other nominees to say that if they couldn't make the Oscar ceremony for any reason, that she'd be absolutely tickled to accept for them. And the winner was, well, Anne Bancroft. And poor Betty had to sit there fuming as Joan Crawford took the stage, triumphant. And as Betty gasped at the time, I almost dropped dead. I was paralyzed with shock to deliberately upstage me like that. Her behavior was despicable. That's right, their claws continued to be out for one another for the remainder of their days until Joan was the first to pass away from a heart attack. The tragedy did nothing to diminish Davis's acid tongue. You should never say bad things about the dead, only good. Joan Crawford is dead. Good. But what about that film so ably directed by Robert Aldrich? Well, it cannily played on their real-life rivalry by casting them as two has-been sisters, one dementedly holding the other captive and serving her a dead rat for lunch, among other offbeat treats like the outlandish sound of her singing. The film is macabre, funny, and heart-rendering all at once. And it was a huge hit. And it paved the way for older actresses to go grotesque and get Oscar nominations, including one for Betty Davis. And, of course, that drove Joan over the deep end, especially since Betty had called her after seeing the film and boasted about how great her own performance was, neglecting to utter a single syllable about Joan's. 
And after Betty, after Baby Jane, well, the public was desperate for Betty and Joan to repair. So two years later, Robert Aldrich was set to direct them in Hush Hush, Sweet Charlotte, another gothic thriller with distinct similarities to Baby Jane. For one thing, Betty's character is a wacky belle who seems demented and may have committed a horrible crime. For another, Joan's character was nowhere near as juicy or rewarding as Bet's. Possibly because she realized she was getting the short end of the stick again, Joan became ill and held up production while she recuperated. She might well have been thrilled when she was finally replaced by Olivia de Havilland. There were other parallels between the two battling divas, making their story even more morbidly fascinating. Both Betty and Joan suffered angry tell-alls written about them by their daughters. Betty while she was alive, Joan after she was dead. Also, Betty worked with Faye Dunaway in the 1976 TV movie, The Disappearance of Amy, and absolutely loathed her, which made Faye the perfect choice to play Joan in Mommy Dearest later on. Meanwhile, in the 70s, Joan had said that Faye was the best of the new breed of actresses, which again made Faye the perfect choice to play Joan, but not so much in a movie that may, must have had Joan rolling in her perfectly appointed coffin. And by the way, that movie was originally going to star Anne Bancroft, who Joan so nobly accepted that Oscar for. But maybe the strongest link of all was the rumors of sexual tension between the two. Joan supposedly longing for a role in the hay with saucer-eyed Betty. I wouldn't be surprised. It's hard to have that level of animosity going on without some undercurrent of pure lust. I mean, haven't you ever hated someone so much you sort of just wanted to fuck them? <laughs> and whether they wanted to dive on each other or pull each other's hair out, they make one of Movie Land's great pairings. But that's the story that everybody knows. And Feud, well, it touches part of the story and goes behind the scenes to share even more of the details. And they are juicy. So, as we prepare for those two to slug it out, let's consider what made this such a great war of the withered roses. At the heart of it was Betty's contention that she was a real actress, whereas Joan was a mere movie star. Conversely, Joan dismissively noted that she herself was a person of respect, whereas Betty had simply become a joke beloved by screaming gays. The goal of the first episode of Feud is all about setting the stage, as it were, getting to know the expansive sets of the old Warner, Warner lot, bustling with set builders and lighting crews. We see in wide shot the lavish offices of studio executives like Stanley Tucci, which, by the way, I love, and the gold interior of gossip columnist Hedda Hopper, played by Judy Davis. And that mansion would just make Midas weep, seriously. And the story unfolds, unfolds like this. Joan Crawford, played by Jessica Lang, having been out of work for a couple of years and told that the roles that she wants, nay, demands, just aren't being made, sets off to find something worthy of her talent. With the help of her devoted maid, Mama Sita, Joan comes across the new novel, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, and the gears, well, they start a-grinding. With the help of a quaint Pepsi-Cola care package, I mean, after all, Crawford was their spokesperson, she manages to get director Robert Aldrich out to her pool for a meeting about the movie. And, to help seal the deal, she promises that she'll get him the perfect co-star. Who's that, Aldrich asks in response? Well, 
Joan simply lies back on her lounge chair, all cunning smile and fabulous turban. Enter Betty Davis by Susan Sarandon. Having her own trouble finding work in Hollywood, well, Betty's returned to Broadway, and we find her in a bit part in a new Tennessee Williams play, Night of the Iguana. In a scene that sets up the rest of the series, Joan goes backstage to Betty's dressing room to offer her the role of Baby Jane Hudson. And it's the first scene that these two have together that you can almost feel that small dressing room instantly chill. You were wonderful tonight, Betty, Joan offers. I don't know why you didn't get better reviews. And Betty snarls, What the hell do you want, Lucille? And with that exchange, we get a window into a lifetime of animosity. But Betty knows Joan is right. Hollywood just isn't making the type of women's movies that they used to. If something's going to happen, we have to make it happen. No one is looking to cast women of our age, but together, they wouldn't dare say no. The devil, well, he works in mysterious ways too sometimes. And in this series, well, it's wrapped in furs and jewels and is fabulous. As she glides confidently from the room, Joan stops at the door and turns to Betty with one last enticement. I'm offering you the title role, Betty asks, turning in her chair with her wig cap still on. The lead? And she responds, you can call it that, ending the scene on that cunning smile. The best thing that Murphy and his team, known for their over-the-top plots, have done is keep the story straightforward. It is history, after all, and let everything around it spill with the drama and camp that his audiences have come to expect. The music between scenes swells with tense violins. Supporting actors like Stanley Tucci and Judy Davis get chances to expertly chew lines and shoot side glances as only they can do. One of the best scenes in the very first episode is when Betty finds inspiration for the look of Baby Jane in her dressing room using an old wig that Joan had worn in a movie years ago. As psycho-esque music begins to swell, Betty cakes her face in white makeup, adds a Clarabeau beauty mark, and, marching on set, bathed in spotlight, sarcastically curtsies before Aldrich, Joan, and the crew, over-enunciating her greeting, Hello, Daddy! Hard to believe their mutual loathing could endure for so long, whether it was love rivalry, or mutual insecurity in such a precarious profession, one thing is for sure, it provides us with some seriously great campy mudslinging of all time, and I, for one, loved it. All right, Renegade Nation, catch us next time, and if you'd like this review, or if you have a comment, don't forget to post your like or comment. Hey, you got a show, a movie, or a book that you want us to review? Let us know. I mean, I'm not saying that we're going to, but, you know, let us know so that at the very least we can make fun of you and mock you on air. See you next time on Renegade Reviews here on Renegade Talk Radio. We don't sugarcoat shit.